Welcome to the Students of Surgery podcast series, where we shed light on common surgical topics. Welcome back to the Students of Surgery podcast series. And today we have Dr. Monzon, the head of trauma surgery at Steve Beaker Academic Hospital. And we're going to be talking about the approach to assessing a trauma patient. Welcome, Dr. Monzon. Thank you, uh, Professor Brandt. Uh, thank you for inviting me to the podcast. Let's start off with what we are going to deal with in this podcast. Well, I think we, we're just going to cover some basics about ATLS. What is ATLS and what are the components of ATLS, the primary survey and the secondary survey, and some issues regarding the initial management of trauma patients. Fantastic. Can you tell us what actually is ATLS and why is it important? Uh, trauma follows a, a uh, very predictable pattern of mortality uh, where there are three different waves of mortality. The initial wave of mortality occurs immediately after the injury is on the scene of the accident and it carries about 50%. The next mortality usually happens in the first 24-48 hours following injuries and is caused by a, a, a uncontrolled hemorrhage and, and severe traumatic brain injuries. And there is a late uh, wave of mortality that occurs between 7 and 14 days following the injury where these patients die from multiple organ failure and sepsis. Now, what ATLS does in the system is provided to create a safe uh, way of assessing and managing trauma patients that prevents these mortalities from occurring. So the mortality of the second wave and the mortality of the third wave, which are considered preventable mortalities, if you do the initial management of the patient appropriately, the mortality in these two major waves should be reduced. Uh, also, ATLS provide a common language for communicating uh, when you're talking about a trauma patient. So, say, for example, a person is in a different hospital and wants to transfer a patient and he's done ATLS and then he speaks to the people on the receiving end and they both have done ATLS, they can understand what they're talking about in an easier way. What does ATLS stand for? Well, ATLS stands for Advanced Trauma Life Support. It's a system that was designed in the late 1970s by the American College of Surgeons and is now being uh, utilized for the management of trauma patients in probably half of the world and has proven uh, beneficial for the management of the trauma patients and that's why it's so widespread. When should we actually apply ATLS principles? Well, any trauma patients should be theoretically managed uh, using the principles of ATLS because as I said at the beginning it provides a, a pathway of safety and it provides a pathway of understanding what you need to do with your patient so every single patient that arrives in a hospital following an injury should be managed using ATLS. Why should we follow and apply the ATLS principles? Well as I said before um, they are the injuries that can kill your patient immediately following, following the trauma um, are easy to be identified when you're using the ATLS principle. So the, the ATLS principles are there to identify what we, what we in clinical practice call life-threatening injuries, which are the priorities of treatment. So things that are so severe that can kill your patient in a matter of minutes, you should be able to identify them. What are these life-threatening injuries? There is a small mnemonic that is called atomic that stands for airway obstruction, tension pneumothorax, open pneumothorax, massive hemothorax, and cadet tamponade. But not only that, you need to be able to identify significant hemorrhage that can kill your patient. 
and the presence of a perforation of the intestine that could then influence the late mortality of the patients. And essentially, the whole ATLS principles are there to reduce the mortality, that mortality that comes with inappropriate management and, and missed injury. What is the definition of severe trauma? Severity of trauma is assessed utilizing something called the, the injury severity score. Injury severity score is a, is a mathematical, mathematical formula that uh, calculates the higher injury score of particular regions or organs and then gives you an estimate of, on numbers of what the severity of injury is. Any severe trauma any, is considered a patient with an injury severity score higher than 16 points out of 75. But then you can stratify in a mild, moderate, severe, very severe and critical depending on the, on the actual number that you calculate. Could you briefly maybe just describe what is actually in an ISS? Okay, so the, the ISS is a, is a broad, as I said, a broad calculation, a broad mathematical calculation that is based on something is called the abbreviated injury scale. Any organ can be injured mildly, it's a small injury of the organ, to something that is considered unsurvivable. So, for, for example, a spleen can have a small little hematoma on the spleen that is considered a grain injury, or it can have a deep vascularizing injury of the spleen with severe hemorrhage, that's a grade five. So depending on that grading, then you add the, the maximums of specific injuries and, and you calculate the ISS. It's, it's very simple. You don't need to do your, the mathematical calculation. There is an application that allows you to do that. It's online. You can access it to the internet and then you you put the the, 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 the type of injuries that you're dealing with and, and the app will give you the, the ISS. We've supplied a link to the ISS app in the podcast notes. Could you tell us when you first assess a patient, are there any signs that you specifically look for that may indicate a patient that is at significant risk of a severe injury? Yes, indeed. They, they not only at, uh, at risk of severe injuries, but at risk of dying. So there is three basic components that you use in, in the exercise. It's, it's called triage. And then you use three things. You use the mechanism of injury, you use the present clinical signs, and you use the potential anatomical injuries that are associated with that particular injury. So when you're talking about severe mechanism of injury or dangerous mechanism of injuries, we're talking about individuals who've been involved in traffic accidents, like a head-on collision without wearing a seatbelt, a patient who's been hit by a car, a person who's fallen from a height, uh, individuals who've been in a bus or a train accident or individuals who've been electrocuted. When you're talking about clinical signs, uh, it's very simple. You're looking for sign of stroke. And sign of stroke in this case is an abnormal GCS, a very high or a very low respiratory rate, tachycardia, hypotension, hypoxia uh, determined by the uh, peripheral saturation of oxygen, hypothermia and uh, signs of uh, metabolic acidosis. There is one, one market that uh, is a very simple thing to apply, which is, is the choke index, which uh, is a very simple mathematical uh, division. You, you divide the, uh, the heart rate by the systolic blood pressure, and that will give you a fraction of uh, the number one. So anything more than 0.9 points to severity of injury because that means the patient is bleeding. So there is a reverse ratio normally the systolic blood pressure is higher than the pulse but when your patient is choked is hypotensive and is tachycardic then the uh, the choke index will be higher than 0.9 we've supplied a link to a shock index calculator 
in the podcast notes. You said the third component of triage is the anatomic injuries. Yeah, the anatomical injuries are injuries that you either suspect or you see clearly on the patient when you are assessing the patient. And the most important one is the presence of external active hemorrhage. A patient like is bleeding uh, massively from a laceration or an open fracture. Patients with blunt and penetrating torso trauma are also at very high risk of having multiple organ injuries. Patients with multiple lung fractures, meaning patients with a humerus fracture or a bilateral femur fracture, are patients who can bleed a lot from there. Individuals with a mechanism uh, consistent with a pelvic fracture are also at risk. A major traumatic amputation is also included in that. And we're talking about amputations in, on proximal parts of the limb. So anything in proximal joints uh, through the elbow, through the knee, those are severe injuries. A patient who had a potential for a penetrating vascular trauma. And in our environment, because we're dealing with penetrating trauma all the time, anything that involves a penetrating injury to the neck. What are the components of ATLS? Right, ATLS is, uh, as I said, is designed for for establishing priorities of of, uh, of injuries and treatment. The first thing that you need to consider is the handover. So, is the information regarding the injury? Then you have to conduct the primary survey. Then the actual resuscitation effort, which goes together with the assessment of the patient. Then you've got the secondary survey. And then you have the other two components, which are the, the, uh, the, the decision-making regarding investigations of, of definitive surgery or treatment, and something that is called tertiary survey, which has been added uh, to the ATLS that is designed to prevent missing injuries. So say for, for the sake of argument, your patient is so severely injured, injured that you have to rush him to the operating theater and you are not able to complete the, um, the whole secondary survey physical examination. And once you finish your patient and your patient is in ICU and in a more stable condition, then you can do your physical examination in that and, and complete your, your ATLS protocol. I think let's go in a stepwise manner through the components of ATLS. So when you were talking about the handover, what, what are you mentioning there? Okay, so ha- handover, handover means that you give, or whoever is t- telling you about this individual patient needs to give you uh, a very succinct uh, information regarding the injury. You're not going to be talking there forever. Uh, the, the handover should not take longer than 30 seconds, uh, maximum a minute, and it should include the age of the patient, the gender, and then there are some uh, anagrams that you can use to remember the thing. The first one is MIST, that stands for mechanism of injury, injury sustained, signs and symptoms, and, and the uh, treatment that you have given the patient or you want the patient to receive. And then the second, uh, the second one is AMPLE, A-M-P-L-E, which stands for allergies, medication, in this, ki- in this, in this case, uh, chronic medication that the patient is taking that may influence the treatment. The prior history, and here we include the comorbidities, surgeries, etc. When did the patient eat last, and what were the events surrounding the trauma, particularly the time between the injury and arrival to the hospital. So those are things which are ex- exceptional, uh, important, because you will have a general idea of what is happening to this patient. Okay, great. So that, so that mnemonic was AG missed ample. Ample, yeah. What is the primary survey? Right, so primary survey is, is a very quick uh, physical examination that is designed to, as I said, establish priority. So you need to look for 
what we mentioned before that are called life-threatening injuries. And this is the famous ABCDE of the ATLS. So ABCDE approach stands for assessing the airway, the breathing, the circulation, the disability, in this case, the neurological disability. And the E that stands for everything else plus the environment surrounding the patient. It should be a rapid assessment of injuries and you should, once you identify one of the life-threatening injuries, you should be able to deal with it immediately. You don't wait for radiology, you don't wait for, uh, for other investigations. So let's look a little bit closer at the ABCDEs. What should we assess the airway for? Right, so what do we need to assess the airway for? Airway, you know, the, the letters are there for a reason. A comes before B, before C. And A, the main issue that can kill your patient is airway obstruction. How do you assess for the potential of airway obstruction? You need to look at the mechanism of injury, but clinically you need to look for obstruction of the airway that is signified by the inability of the patient to speak, the inability to move air through the upper airway, and especially stridor, inspiratory stridor. There are other signs like low glasgoma score and cyanosis, which are low late signs. In, essentially, if you identify a patient who is at risk of having a, an airway obstruction or has an obstructed airway, you should immediately try to clear that airway or secure the airway by intubating the patient. Um, there are several algorithms that are available for, for the management of the airway, including algorithms for, for compromise or difficult airways, and I urge the students to familiarize themselves with, uh, with this kind of algorithms. We also have more information in the Advanced Airways Management podcast. How do we assess breathing? Right, so breathing, you assess for respiratory rate. Uh, clinically, you look for signs of distress. So a patient is struggling to breathe and is uh, speaking in very short, uh, gasping sentences. Uh, you need to look for the potential deviation of the trachea away from the injured side. You need to look for uh, distended neck veins, you need to listen to the chest to look here at the air entry, whether it's equal on both sides or whether it's decreased or absent. You need to look for open wounds and then you need to assess the pulse and the oxygen saturation because remember breathing, uh, the main the main thing that you will see there is hypoxia and, and those other things. And what, what, what are you aiming for is you're looking for three things, tension pneumothorax, open pneumothorax, and massive hemothoraces. Massive hemo is also part of the C evaluation, but you can identify it clinically on the on the initial assessment. Okay, so let's move on to C, uh, okay. circulation. Okay, so now circulation is, is, I think, the most important part of the whole exercise, because apart from, from airway obstruction, uncontrolled hemorrhage is the second most common cause of, of mortality in the trauma patients. And here, we, 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 the assessment of circulation is designed to find out sources of hemorrhage and, and decide what you need to do to control it. How do you assess for that? You look for signs of shock. So we're talking about tachycardia, hypertension, external hemorrhage, uh, low temperature, low GCS, low urinary output. If you are dealing with a penetrating vascular trauma, you need to look for, for signs of, of arterial injury that are the classical piece that you look for. You need to look for, for, uh, for sources of external hemorrhage, and if you see them, then you stop. 
Now, in general, in trauma surgery, hemorrhage is divided into two types, compressive and non-compressive. So compressive hemorrhage is the one that you can see and you can you can put a, either a finger or a, or a, a pack or a balloon catheter to, uh, to arrest. And uncompressible hemorrhage is that the ones that happens in the body cavities, in the chest, the abdomen, the pelvis, that will require some form of surgical intervention to, to arrest. One thing important about, about the C assessment is the uh, utilization of fluids. If you have no evidence of uh, hemorrhage and choke, you should not be giving the patients too much fluids because crystalloid fluids are not exempt of complications and you should try to limit the amount of crystalloids that you're using for your patients. We discuss in more detail the management of intravenous fluid resuscitation in the trauma patient in another podcast as well. Can I just take you back? You mentioned the five P's of limb ischemia. Could you tell us what are these P's? Okay, so these are clinical signs that you look for on cases with potential arterial injuries. And, and they are easy to remember because all the words start with a P and that's why it's called the five P's. The first one is lack of pulses or pulselessness. The second one is pain, severe pain, ischemic pain. The next one is pallor, just you don't have enough blood supply to that particular limb, the, the limb will become uh, pale. The next one is a grid work, and this this Greek word is very difficult to remember. It's poikilothermia, which means that the limb is cold. And the last one is paralysis, so the patient is unable to, lead, to move his limb. Those are the signs of arterial injury. Let's go back to our mnemonic. How do we assess for disability? Okay, so disability has two components on the on the initial assessment. One is the glaucoma score. Um, which is a clinical assessment tool that uh, assess severity of uh, traumatic brain injury. It has three components, uh, the best eye response, verbal response and motor response. Maximum score is 15, minimum score is 3. Uh, any patient with a score of 8 or less is considered a severe traumatic brain injury. The second component is um, the pupillary assessment. So you need to assess the size and reactivity of the pupil. If you don't remember the uh, glaucoma score, or you don't have an app that can tell you the glaucoma score or, a, or a, um, a photo on your wall that can tell you how to calculate the glaucoma score, you can use a simple approach that is also recommended by ATLS uh, that is called the, is called the AVPU assessment of, of disability. Standing A stands for alert, V for present verbal response, P for pain response and the U is for unresponsive patients. So they, they correspond roughly to if you are alert, your GCS is going to be between 15 and 14. If you have a verbal response, your GCS is going to be between 13 and 12. If you are responding to pain, your GCS is going to be between 11 and 9. If you are response, unresponsive, your GCS is 8 or less and that, that signifies a severe head injury. The last letter of the mnemonic E, how do we assess that? Okay, E stands for environment and everything else. And here, here you need to look at the patient as a whole. You need to take the clothing away from the patient. You need to con- remove all the constricting devices or chains, bracelets, rings, etc. You need to then look for foreign bodies. You need to look for wounds. You need to penetrating injuries. You need to determine the core temperature of the patient and also protect the patient from hypothermia. You need then, once you finish your physical examination, you need to cover your patient and make sure that your patient remains warm. And if you have had uh, splints and, and, and immobilizing devices applied during the uh, initial management of the patient on the 
on the scene of the accident, you should remove these things and assess what is happening in that particular limb because you may lose, you may miss a, a penetrating injury that is covered by bandages and uh, or you may miss an injury that requires an immediate intervention. Great, thank you. That was the primary survey. Um, could you tell us briefly, what is the secondary survey? Secondary survey is basically a, a physical examination. And ATLS says that physical examination is done by, by looking, listening and feeling. So this is a physical examination that goes from the head all the way down to the toes. And here you need to look for signs of injury. Signs of injuries that may not be uh, obvious. There may be subtle signs like hematomas, ecchymosis, the presence of bleeding from the ears, epistaxis. You need to look, check on your pulses. You need to look for motor and sensory um, activity. You need to look for the presence of wounds and describe those wounds. You need to look for crepitation, particularly in the chest wall. If you are dealing with refractures, always assume that when you are examining your patient, your patient is going to be severely injured. Even if you don't see sign, even if you have uh, very little information about your duty as a doctor is to look for signs of injuries and, and then decide what you need to do with that. Whether you need to operate on your patient or whether you can do uh, go ahead and do some, some further investigations. Okay, great. Thank you. Would you be able to summarize what we've gone through in this podcast? How should we approach a trauma patient? When you approach a trauma, a trauma patient, you need to use the mechanism of injury, the clinical signs and the potential anatomical injuries to determine the severity and establish the uh, priority of treatment for these injuries. Second thing is to remember that ATLS offers a safe approach and a common language to the management of the injured patient, which is aimed at preventing preventable mortalities or preventing mortality. The ATLS consists of primary survey, resuscitation, secondary survey, investigations and definitive management. During the primary survey, the role of the physician or the doctor who is treating that patient is to identify life-threatening injuries and treat them. There are some uh, mnemonics and guides that you should be able to memorize. One is the ABCD approach for the primary assessment and the other one is atomic, which are the uh, denominators for the life-threatening injuries that we need to remember. Uh, one important point is that we need to be prepared to interrupt the primary survey if we, if we assess that the patient requires emergency surgery to arrest bleeding and then perform a tertiary survey once, while, while the patient is in ICU or in the ward. Once your primary survey is completed, then you can proceed to a secondary survey and decide what kind of investigations or treatment your patient needs. Great. Thank you very much for a very informative podcast and hopefully we'll be hearing from you in the future. Thank you very much. This edition of the Students of Surgery podcast has been produced by TuxFM. Visit www.tuxfm.co.za for young, fresh and relevant content. That was another edition of the Students of Surgery podcast series, where we shed light on common surgical topics.